God leads, and he accomplishes his mission. And these truths are recorded for us so that we know how the church was formed, but so that we also know that God's mission is not done, and God's purposes are not finished. And God has a desire to continue leading. He has a desire to continue seeing lives and hearts transformed and become more like his dear son. And so Luke continues to show the effective outworking of God's plan. Because God desires to see not only people in Antioch come to know him, not only people in Cyprus come and know him, but God has a desire to see people in Des Moines come to know him. And so the truths that are contained in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 12, are universal truths. This is who God is at all times and all places. God's spirit is leading God's people, and as he does so, he brings people to saving faith. He has a desire to see hearts and lives transformed by the power of the gospel. So I believe the theme of the passage, as we will uh, study it in a little bit here, is follow the Holy Spirit and share the message of Christ with unbelievers. Follow the Holy Spirit and share the message of Christ with unbelievers. If you would take your copy of God's Word, we're going to read Acts chapter 13, and we'll read verses 1 through 12. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 12. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius, Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. From there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul, and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O fool of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind not seeing the sun for a time. Immediately, a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, and they saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your work. We thank you that your mission is not accomplished. And we know this because we are still here. And you continue to entrust us with time, trust us with talents. You continue to entrust us with um, relationships and opportunities to minister to people and to see them come to know you as their Savior. We pray that your Spirit would lead us this coming week, lead our, our time, lead our talents, lead our, our energies, and
and that as he does so, that we would see the fruit that you have a desire to see as well. We pray that you would lead us even during this time, that you would help us to be attentive to your word, and that your word would work effectively in each of our hearts and lives, and that as a result, uh, we would be transformed by you. We thank you for who you are. In your name we pray. Amen. The Spirit leads the church. You see this in the first few verses. It's interesting how God leads. And the passage is full of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, leading his church through every step of this journey. The Spirit is constantly the, the central character who's actually acting. Yes, there's, there's other characters, and there's fun dialogue, and there's, there's even some irony that's found in the passage. But amidst all that, the story isn't about Paul. It's not about Sergius Paulus. It's not about Elimus. It's not about Barnabas. It's not about John Mark. The story is about the Holy Spirit accomplishing his mission, bringing souls to Christ, showing that God's plan is no longer for simply the Jews to have the message of salvation as something that they keep as a secret, but rather God's desire is to show the message of salvation to all people everywhere. The gospel is continuing to advance, not just numerically, but geographically. God's message is advancing into new territories. But before all that begins, you have to back up and you have to see how God is leading his church in you see, God is preparing believers in Antioch. If you remember just a few chapters ago, what happens when the message of Christ comes to Antioch and drastically transforms that community? In that passage, uh, the, the, some few believers decide that they're going to do the risky business of taking the gospel of Jesus Christ and telling Gentiles about Jesus. And that's what they do. They take the gospel message and they, they, they meet with some of their Gentile friends, neighbors, coworkers. The text doesn't really tell us who they are. But as they present this gospel message to them, these people hear and they're like, this is the hope-filled message we have been searching for our entire lives. This solves life's problems. I'm a sinner. I'm in need of salvation. My sin separates me from God. And as a result, God is righteous and looking at me as a sinner and saying, you are condemned to eternal separation from me. You are condemned to hell. That's where we are. That's how you're born. But God didn't want to leave those Gentiles in that place. God didn't want to leave you and I in that place. And so he sent his son, Jesus, into the world. And he came, and he lived a perfect, sinless life, demonstrating that he was completely unique. Not just a good person, but the Son of God. And then he went to the cross, and he paid the penalty for your sins and for my sins. So that through faith in his finished work on the cross, you and I would be reconciled to God. You and I could find peace with God, that you and I would no longer have to fear the consequences of our sins, that we could be assured with confident hope that our sins are forgiven, that there is now joy and hope in 
the message is brought to them. And they hear it, and their lives are drastically transformed. And Barnabas hears what's going on, and Barnabas travels up to Antioch to see what's going on, and he decides to stick around and minister to them. And he stays there for over a year. And as he ministers, he decides at some point, you know, this, this ministry is so great, there's so many people that are coming to know Christ, I need extra help. So he goes and he finds Saul, who later becomes Paul, and he brings him alongside to help him minister in this context. And they've been ministering there for at least a year, and throughout this time, what's happened? God is preparing that church to be independent. Isn't that amazing, how God works? The Spirit is working. The Spirit is preparing this church long before Paul and Barnabas are sent out from them. These are the people who came who were primary people in planting that church and preparing them so that they could now be the primary sending church that is going to evangelize the Gentile world. And so look at the ministers that are now listed as key prominent people in the church of Antioch. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Notice only two of those are mentioned a few chapters ago. The idea is that God is preparing this church, he's leading them, and, and God does this, and he does this despite people's backgrounds. Because God is the one who prepares them, not their backgrounds. How do you know that? Well, the text gives us a slight hint to that. Paul, we know, is Jewish. Right? Barnabas, we know, is Jewish. We find him in very early chapters in Acts. But Lucius of Cyrene, Simeon, who is called Niger, Niger means black. If he's called black, probably because his ethnic makeup makes people look at him and call him black. Right? And so it's demonstrating that God is willing to use different people from different circles. Not only that, but somebody else has mentioned Mannion, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. God is even willing to use people who are in the upper echelons of the society at that time. And he brings these people together, this weird hodgepodge that nobody would have expected in Acts chapter 1. And these are the leaders and primary teachers of this church. God is preparing for ministry. The Spirit is leading in Acts chapter 1. But the Spirit's ministry is not done. The Spirit is looking for those who are living in obedience. And you see this in, in just how the church is growing. But you also see this in who the Spirit comes to. Where does he go? He goes to people who are following in obedience. Look at verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. It's interesting because... As common as you know, we talk about fasting, and as we talk about um, fasting, and as as common as we talk about fasting, and I put my notes, that's not good. Fasting and ministry. Um, it's interesting because this is the only passage in Acts that talks about fasting. You you would think that you know, as you think about you know, Jesus's Jesus's conversations with his disciples about the importance of fasting, and you think back to the Old Testament and the importance of fasting, uh, but this is the only time in which it's mentioned. 
It shows their dedication. In fact, it's mentioned two times in the text. Because if you look down to verse 3, what do they do in response to the Spirit's leading? The church once again fasts and they pray. So the Spirit is looking for those who are living obediently. He sees people who know what they're supposed to be doing and who are pursuing that with dedication, with devotion to the Lord, and he finds those people and those are the people he's going to use to now expand his message. And so then the Spirit comes and he directs the mission of the local church. And notice the local church is it, it's a local church, as it should be, right? The local church should be focused on the mission that is at hand and focusing on accomplishing what God has given them in that local area, in that context that they live in. And yet, God comes, the Spirit comes, and as he comes, what does he do? He sends these people out to go and minister elsewhere. You see, God is the one who is leading the entire mission field. The Holy Spirit, then, is, is not someone who simply worked and, and led people in the past, but the purpose of the text is to demonstrate how God works today. God still leads the church. God leads this church through his spirit. And he desires that you and I would humbly come alongside him, submit to him, and that as a result we would reap the rewards of obedience. And you see this, and it's modeled in the text. The Spirit comes and he leads. And does the church follow? Yes, they do. The church submits to the Spirit. You see this in verse 3 and you see this in verse 4. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. The church humbly submits to the Spirit's instruction. And as they humbly submit to the Lord's instruction, you see that they're still very much dependent upon the Holy Spirit. It's not like the, the Holy Spirit comes and finds them and tells them, hey, guys, I have this new mission for you. Take Saul, take Barnabas, these two guys who have been huge helps in your ministry here, and send them on to the next local area to minister there. And they just go, okay, yeah, we'll do that. No, there's this constant dependence upon God. And you know this because their response is fasting and praying. If, if anything, fasting and praying uh, demonstrates a great reliance upon God. I don't know about you, but if I get too far away from a meal, I get hangry. Right? Probably some of you are like that, and you're like, I hope this doesn't go too long because I might start getting hangry in my chair. But it demonstrates great reliance if we're saying, I'm willing to depend upon the Lord and give up a meal and spend time in prayer because I'm seeking to encourage and promote the ministry that these people are going to pursue. You see a great, strong dependence and a belief that God is going to be the one who's ultimately doing the work. It's not firm confidence that, you know, Saul, Paul, Barnabas are such great orators, orators of the truth. It's not that they have such a great uh, understanding of all the, the doctrines, that these things are true. But ultimately, that's not what transforms people's lives 
as they go to Seleucia. What transforms people's lives is the Spirit of God working in people's lives. And so as they send them out, they continue to seek after the Spirit's leading in this ministry. See, the church submits, and then the church encourages the faithful ministry of the believers. You see them being sent out by the Holy Spirit. They're encouraging them. They're sending them on their way. You see, God plans to propel his mission through the church's humble submission to the Lord. That is God's plan today. God has a desire to see his admission advance. As his spirit leads, and as the church of God submits willingly and dependently and faithfully to the spirit's leading, God's mission advance. And God has a desire to propel his mission here in Des Moines through your submission, through my submission to him. And so then the question becomes, are you and I willing to humbly submit ourselves to God's plan? Or does some other thing rise to such great prominence and importance in our lives that we're willing to say, I'm going to cast aside God's plan in order to pursue my plan, my mission. Now, I'm not, I'm not by any means asserting that we're all going to become missionaries that lead. Okay. We can't all do that. But as God provides you and I opportunities to minister to people, are you and I taking the opportunities that he gives us? Are we finding small ways to pursue additional opportunities as, as we have time and as we have ability. God gives us the time and he gives us the ability that we have so that we can minister for him. And God is desiring to use you to propel his ministry here. But notice, God's not simply leading and the church is not simply submitting. Notice that the text concludes and it include, concludes on a very positive Note, because the church now rejoices in the Spirit's blessing. And that's really all that you have from verse uh, 5 all the way through the end of verse 12. It's just this account of God's immense, great blessing on the church. And his demonstration that he is sovereignly in control of this. And that he is leading those he has chosen to come to salvation. So the word of God is given to the Jews first, but God's plan is, is much larger than that. Notice in verse 5, when they arrive in Salamis, what do they do? They preach the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And there's this quick note that John is an assistant with them. But as they go, they, they go and they present the gospel to the Jews and they say, this is the Messiah. This is Jesus. This is the one that we've all looked forward to. This is he who our ancestors have longed for, that we look forward to someday coming and reigning He's the one who provides us with the forgiveness of sins that we so desperately need. This is Jesus. And note, that's all he says about it. I, you just kind of like, you actually like take time to meditate on that. Like, there's no response. Nothing. Not good, not bad. It's just they go in, they, they enter into the synagogue, and they present the gospel message. You almost get the idea that, like, 
maybe some come to salvation, but it's not huge. God is taking his message to the Gentiles. God is expanding the territory geographically of his gospel message, of the saving plan of Jesus Christ for the world. And so the gospel is given to the Jews, but then is given both to the Jews and the Gentiles. And, and, he, and Luke uses two specific individuals to illustrate this. He uses a Gentile, Sergius Paulus, and he uses a Jew, Elimus, Bar Jesus. And there's so much irony and fun packed into this text. It's not immediately evident to you and I, as English speakers, who maybe don't understand exactly the translation as it's been given, but it's a fun text. And so God gives the word to everyone. And the Spirit brings the Gentile, the Gentile to faith, while the Jew is left in spiritual darkness. Let me walk through this text with you really quickly. Verse 6, Now when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. Let's just slow down a little bit and process some of these words and what they mean. Sorcerer is also translated as wise men as in, like, the wise men that come to visit Jesus. So this guy is somebody who, in society, claims to be a wise man, or Jesus. That means son of the Savior. So here's this Jewish man who's turned to some sort of, like, astrology, wisdom, witchcraft-type thing, and he's walking around and he's saying, I'm the son of the Savior, I'm a Jew, and I'm a wise man. And somehow Sergius Paulus has attached himself to this man. Let's read verse 7. Who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. Notice he's also portrayed as somebody who is wise, who is intelligent. But who has, who has real lasting wisdom? Who has the real ability to you know, understand spiritual truth? Going. Verse 8. But Elimus, the sorcerer, or so his name is translated, um, Elimus means sorcerer somehow, withstood him, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So the gospel is presented to both these men. As they leave the, the synagogue and they go and they present the gospel elsewhere, they eventually come into contact with this, this, this uh, Roman and they come into contact with this Jew, and they're both kind of buddy buddy somehow. Maybe the, the um, Proconsul Sergius Paulus has somehow attached himself because he thinks that the, the wise man, Elimus, Bar Jesus, has some sort of spiritual benefits to offer him. But he hears about the gospel of Jesus Christ being presented by Paul and Barnabas, and he's like, That is very interesting. I'd like to hear more about that message. And so he invites him to come. And Paul and Barnabas come and they're presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ to this man. And Elimus Bar-Jesus, the sorcerer, wise man, he's like, no, uh, you know, please go away. You're, you're going to convince this proconsul to your side, and then my job security and my position in the society is lost. Shoo! That's the idea, right? That's in verse 8. Withstood him, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. 
And, and then look how Saul responds. Saul, who is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice once again what's happening. The Holy Spirit is the one who is leading. Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit. He is being led by the Holy Spirit. He is under the Holy Spirit's complete control. You see, the Holy Spirit is accomplishing this work, not Paul, not Barnabas, not Sergius Paulus, and definitely not Alemus. The Holy Spirit is working. The Holy Spirit is bringing Gentiles to salvation. That's his desire, to see people come to salvation. What does Paul say to him? He said, O fool of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil. And that's just that little tinge of irony that he adds in there. Here's this guy who's, you know, walking around. He's named himself Elimus the wise man, who's bar Jesus, the son of the Savior. And Jesus, or Saul, full of the Holy Spirit, looks at him and goes, you're not the son of the Savior. You're the son of the devil. It's just like a huge bit of irony going on right there. He's like, no, you're not. I'll call your bluff. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is leading in this way. He wants Sergius Paulus to get saved. He wants you to get saved. And here you are, shooing me away, trying to, trying to prevent the Spirit's work. He calls him out on it. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And so he calls them out. He says, you're wrong. This is how God is leading you. You are against all that is good. You claim to be a wise man. You claim to be the son of the Savior. But you're on drastically a different path from what God wants. God is leading and bringing the Gentiles to salvation, and you're preventing that. And then notice in verse 11, And now indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. It says, this is your punishment. You're going to be blind for a time period. Verse 11 continues on, And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Paul submits to the Spirit and demonstrates God's desire to save. And then the Spirit brings regeneration to those he chooses. Look at verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished to teach him. You see, the Spirit's leading. The church is submitting to the Holy Spirit's leading. And the Holy Spirit provides the church was something great to rejoice in. A demonstration that this leading of the Holy Spirit is real. Paul, full of the Holy Spirit, rebukes this guy and tells him, you are not in alignment with God's plan. This is God's plan to bring Gentiles to salvation. And, and believer, that is God's plan today. It's so easy for us to to say we have the truth. And we do have the truth. And yet it's so easy for you and I to have that truth and to not follow the Spirit's leading and to share that truth with those that we can share. And God's desire, His heartbeat is the Gentiles, that all people would have an opportunity to hear the gospel and that many would come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's God's plan. That is how
that is how God wants you and I to live this week. He wants you and I to submit to the Holy Spirit's lead and to see people come to salvation. That's God's plan. That's God's plan 2,000 years ago. That's God's plan 1,500 years ago. That's God's plan 1,000 years ago. That's God's plan 500 years ago. That's God's plan yesterday. That's God's plan, at least for now, for today. For you. And if God gives you tomorrow, that's God's plan for your tomorrow every day for the rest of your life. God's Spirit is leading, and God has a desire to bring people to salvation. And the question then is, will you and I choose to willingly submit ourselves to God's plan? And then to rejoice in how the Spirit chooses to bless. And so as we conclude, the Holy Spirit leads the church in triumph. That is, oh, sorry, uh, he chooses, there you go, Spirit brings regeneration to those he chooses. I thought I'd get that already. Application, the Holy Spirit leads the church in triumph. The Holy Spirit is victorious. His plan is fulfilled. And as you continue to read Acts chapter 13, guess what? That doesn't change. Chapter 14, it doesn't change. 15, it doesn't change. It just keeps unfolding. And Luke's trying to communicate to you and I that God's plan hasn't changed now. That's God's plan, to advance the mission of God, to see people come to know Christ. And you and I, we must submit to the Holy Spirit as a church and as individuals. You and I have opportunities to reach the lost in a corporate manner. God has a desire that we would join together and that we would advance the mission of Christ. God has a desire that you as an individual would find opportunities and you would use those opportunities to tell others about the greatness of God. How his mercy and his grace are abounding through the person and work of Jesus Christ. God has a desire that you and I submit to him. And God has a desire that we rejoice in his work as his church. God's spirit is leading. The question is, will you and I choose to submit and be used by him? Or will we choose to allow his spirit to lead in other people and be used in those people. Because God's mission, God's plan is advancing. It advances with or without you. Those he wants to see saved will come to salvation. Despite our activity or inactivity. Let's purpose this week to be believers who follow the Spirit's leading. Who seek to point others who are lost to the saving hope that we have. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that your spirit leads. We thank you that you've led us even this morning. You've led us in reminding us of your son's death, burial, and resurrection. You've allowed us to rejoice in that, to rejoice in the forgiveness that we have in you, and then to rejoice in seeing that your spirit leads the church and that you choose to save people. We pray that you would help us to rejoice in that and to even join in your work here in Des Moines. In your name we pray. Amen.